The Late Morning Program with Nam Ras Podcast. Hare Krishna, everyone. You are listening to the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. My name is Nam Ras Das. I'm your host. And I'm here with Sankirtan Prabhu from New Vrindavan. Sankirtan Prabhu, thank you for joining me. My great pleasure. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Yes, yeah, so I, I've seen Sankardan Prabhu my whole life practically, going to New Vrindavan and uh, for Krishna camp and uh, hearing his storytelling. And he's been a longtime member of the New Vrindavan community. We'll hear all about it uh, you know, uh, on the podcast. But let's start with um, how you got in contact with uh, Krishna consciousness. But actually before that even, where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about your childhood. Well, I was born in Germany, and I came to America with my parents at the age of five. Uh, I grew up in New York City. I was thrust into the public school uh, in kindergarten, and so I didn't speak a word of English. And I, it was a very uh, uh, traumatic uh, experience for me because I grew up in a little village in Germany, not more than like 50 houses altogether. And I wandered around the streets, and uh, you know, I was totally free. And uh, then I came to New York, and all of a sudden, there's this, uh, you know, all of these uh, stipulations and regulations. Uh, even then, you know, there was a lot of uh, <clears throat> crime and disturbance in New York City, and uh, there was uh, always you know, some apprehension about uh, being out late, uh, too late at night or traveling the subways. But one of the things that I was fortunate about, actually my mother and father, they were very liberal and they accepted whatever I did, practically speaking. But one of the things that uh, was a, a great benefit in my life is I lived in a neighborhood in upper New York City, not too far from the, the George Washington Bridge, where. Um, <clears throat> my neighborhood was full of diversity. I had friends who were Puerto Ricans and Spanish and uh, whites and blacks. Uh, you know, there was a whole spectrum of kids that I grew up with. And so I was, uh, it, you know, looking back, uh, I was very grateful to uh, have that experience uh, with that type of diversity in, uh, at a young age. Right. And so I was, I was yeah. open to a lot of different things. When I got into high school, I was already looking into like Buddhism. I was looking into creativity. One, one of the big problems, of course, is when I got here, I didn't speak a word of English. So for me, communication was, became, a very uh, critical issue in my life, how to express myself, how to communicate properly. And I was dangerously shy when I was a kid, but I, uh, I started dabbling in different things to express myself. I bought um, paint supplies and was dabbling in art, and then I got into poetry. And by the time I got to, um, to college, I kind of grabbed the bull by the horn, so to speak, and I jumped into theater, getting in front of an audience, although that was a 
the one of the big issues in in my life. And so when I got to college, I was majoring in history with the idea of being a teacher. But uh, same with me, I have a history degree. Oh, great. Well, <laughs> I I switched, and I uh, eventually majored in theater and also filmmaking. Oh wow, interesting. So, so um, when about when did you get in touch with devotees, and where did that happen? Well, I, I, as a young man, uh, I was around uh, nineteen or twenty. I moved down to the East Village. Not oh, wow. far. This this is in like nineteen. I started going to the East Village probably in sixty six and uh, sixty seven. I moved down there with and uh, had a couple of my friends as roommates. We lived in an area in, in the village called Alphabet City. Right, Alphabet well, City, Alphabet, yeah. There's 2nd Avenue, 1st Avenue, and then Avenue A, B, C, and D. So I lived in Alphabet City by Avenue C on 2nd Street. And right. uh, a friend of mine in college, she uh, said, you know, there's this new... Uh, new group uh they opened up a center near you why don't you just drop in and find out and see if see if you can get me some literature on them she was talking about the Hare krishna people at 26 second avenue and so i think i i went there it was probably in 19 in early 1968 and uh so i got i wasn't interested myself but I got some uh, literatures and some information for my friend, and I <laughs> passed it along to her. You went there. You went there just to get some literature for someone else. But yeah. Little did you know that later on you'd dedicate your whole life to this. Right, and then uh, about a year later, uh, I was uh, like I said, I was taking theater courses and film courses, and for one of my film courses. They, uh, the teacher requested everybody to do a, a short documentary. So I thought, well, these Hare Krishna people, they look pretty uh, photogenic. Let me uh, do something on them. And so I went down, back down to 26 2nd Avenue. I still lived in the neighborhood. But to my surprise, I found that the store was closed, you know. Uh, uh, and they had moved just a couple of, a couple of blocks away at 61 2nd Avenue. Right. They were there for just a couple of years, and um, I started going there. My wife, uh, we met in college, and uh, she was majoring in uh, sociology. So she thought, let me go with you, and I'll uh, do a little paper for my sociology course on what type of people join the Hare Krishnas. <laughs> so we were just both uh, going and interviewing the devotees and uh, I, I was following them around with a camera. The archives, Yadobar actually said that he saw my footage. My footage, I never completed the documentary. I took about maybe uh, 20, or 20 minutes worth of footage or 30 minutes worth of footage. But just playing the footage itself, people were so fascinated the teacher gave me flying colors, even though I never really got around to editing it. Wow. But Yadobar said that it's, it's hard to use that stuff. This is back in the 60s, and it's all kind of cinema verite, as they say. All of these strange angles of the devotees looking up at them and, you know, <laughs> at these weird angles. Right. And I'll, I'll, very often, 
uh, when I follow them on Sankirtan to Fifth Avenue and on St. Mark's Place in the East Village, uh, very often I was filming the crowd. I was filming people walking by and getting reaction shots. Right. Uh, and on Fifth Avenue and uh, even on St. Mark's Place, you know, the reactions were re really, the, the, the people were taken aback by seeing them. Wow. I think the, the the very first time I saw them actually, it was um, <clears throat> uh, in 1967. This is even before I went to 26 Second Avenue. Uh, there was a very first Easter Bean in Central Park in uh, New York City, and I saw the devotees were there and uh, they were chanting, and so I thought uh, to myself, that's. On one hand, I was like repulsed because of the, the strange way they looked. But on the other hand, I was attracted because who sings and dances in the street? You know, that's kind of an, a very attractive thing yeah. to see people singing in the street and dancing in the street. Everybody would love to do that. You know, there's Fred Astaire and who's that guy that was uh, doing them film on singing in the rain? Right. Uh, get his name offhand. But those are very attractive features that people would be free enough and uninhibited enough to uh, to to go to 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 do that actually. And I always considered myself, even before the hippies came along in the early '60s, I could I considered myself like a nonconformist. And even as a hippie, there's a lot of things that I didn't like about the whole hippie mentality and the mindset and i was even like uh, not really sold out to the whole hippie paradigm right. there were kind of four types of hippies actually there was like the political hippies the back to land hippies the stoned out drug hippies that were just drugged out all the time and then i, I was like an artsy hippie I was involved in theater and writing poetry, stuff like that. So I really felt I didn't really fit in to the whole hippie scene. <clears throat> so then when did you get actually involved with the Hare Krishna movement? You know, I've never been a joiner. Like I said, I was always, <laughs> always a nonconformist. And yeah. I hated organizations. And uh, my wife and I, when we came upon the devotees, she was actually, we weren't married at the time, but she was more interested in a sense. I, I, I appreciated their spirituality, but I was no, no way going to join some uh, organization. Yeah. And so she was, you know, we were she was talking about maybe we should join or something, you know, just a brief conversation. Uh, after we uh, graduated from college, then we left New York City. This is in uh, 1970, and we moved up to Nova Scotia uh, on, on the shores of the Atlantic Ocean in the forest. Uh, so we had rented a, 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 an old farmhouse with another couple, and we were up there for, uh, at that time, it was the worst winter in the last 80 years, we experienced that up in Nova Scotia. Wow. 
And then when did when did you meet? Uh, so you didn't join. You didn't want to join, but you did. Ultimately, well, did join, right? Yes. <laughs> one one thing I'd like to touch upon. Yeah. Is some of the things that like moved me in the direction of joining. One of the things when we got up to Nova Scotia, the fellow that we rented the house with had to go back to New York City. And then he came back with a brand new album put out by George Harrison, <laughs> the uh, All Things uh, uh, Must Pass, My Sweet Lord, right. the My Sweet Lord album. And uh, so we were taken aback. Wow, even George Harrison is into the Krishnas. Uh, we had gotten a Bhagavad Gita from the devotees before we left. And so uh, we were, uh, not uh, every day, but, you know, that was part of our reading material up in Nova Scotia. And then we were hearing uh, the uh, My Sweet Lord uh, album. And then uh, one of the things that struck me before we left New York City, when I was still interviewing the devotees, uh, <clears throat> I was at 26 Second Avenue interviewing one of the devotees with my wife. And then there's another devotee that came in and uh, he had just come from Boston. And when they saw each other, they immediately fell flat on the floor and offered obeisances to each other. And they jumped up and they gave them each other a hearty embrace. That act impressed me much more than the philosophy. I wow. thought, you know, here are two people are so connected. When they see each other, they fall flat on the ground to offer their respects to one another. And then they give themselves a hearty embrace uh, together. Uh, so that that was really a remarkable thing. And, uh, you know, I have to say, I, I'm not kind of too philosophical, at, at least at that point. Yeah. But I... That really made an impact on me. Wow. And That's really interesting. I really like that you share that because sometimes, yeah, I mean, people be become attracted to Krishna consciousness in, in really kind of different ways. It's not really about mostly about philosophy. It's like about care and respect and love of, of the devotees and how they behave with each other. That's really impressive. I love that. <laughs> so we also love the prashadam. That was a uh, big plus. Uh, <laughs> and then before I left New York City, one of the devotees, he said, uh, just chant Hare Krishna. Get the prayer beads. At that time, there was no, you couldn't get prayer beads from the devotees. You had to go to a hobby shop and buy beads and make your own prayer beads. Right. So. Uh, after we were up in Nova Scotia for many, many, many months, we actually um, were um, compelled to go to the uh, a hobby shop and we made our own prayer beads, my wife and I. And uh, <clears throat> eventually we uh, left Nova Scotia. I was invited by a theater company in Madison, Wisconsin. Still, I think it's still there. It's called the Broom Street Theater. And they, uh, I was um, contacting around, and they uh, offered me a um, a place in the theater company. And so my wife and I, we went hitching down uh, through Canada, 
and we unknowing to us but Prabhupada wound up in Detroit uh, when on our way there we heard that Prabhupada was going to be in Detroit and so really? what year was this this is in 19, 1971 of okay. July so we had met the devotees like I said in uh, 68 and then uh, by so it's, this is about two or three years later and um, there, it, there's a funny story that I have to share. Please, please. Because um, <clears throat> we stopped at the uh, Toronto Temple, and the, the, they, they told us, wow, Prabhupada is going to be in Detroit in just a few days. Why don't you wait, and you can come with us to see Prabhupada? And we were going in that direction anyways. We had to go through Detroit. We had to go through uh, Chicago to get to Madison, Wisconsin. And so uh, we waited, and there was a car leaving Friday night. And so we heard about it, and we got our uh, backpacks. We had backpacks. We were hitching. We right. hitched all over the place in those days. It wasn't too much of a problem. And so uh, we got down to the car, and the car was full. And uh, we were kind of, you know, despondent. And so they said, don't worry about a thing. There's another car leaving on Saturday morning. This is Friday evening. There's another car leaving Saturday morning. Just go with them and you'll get there in time to see Prabhupada. And so, okay, the next morning we came down again with our backpacks. Car was full. Oh, no. <laughs> we, had, we had been waiting around now for three days because the devotees invited us that they would take us to Detroit. But yeah. uh, in a sense, sometimes that happens that, uh, you know, people make promises that uh, they can't keep or maybe they uh, made a promise in a very uh, kind of haphazard way. But anyways, they were enthusiastic for us to see Prabhupada, but they couldn't facilitate us. And we were totally despondent. And they, the driver said, okay, get into the car, squeeze in. We squeezed in with our knapsacks and uh, we was just, you know, Squish, squished against the, the door and they, he said I'll, I'm going to drop you off on the highway you've been hitchhiking through Canada all this time anyways so you know it's it's only four hour uh, drive you'll be there in no time of course when you're hitchhiking sometimes you're waiting around for like hours to get a ride yeah. and, which happened to us at times so we're out on the highway we're dropped off the devotees continue on their way and we're wondering, what the heck are we going to do now? <laughs> we actually want to go to Detroit. And yeah. we, got out, we got out the map. And we're looking around. And we see up, you know, up above the, the lakes, Lake uh, Michigan or Lake Superior, there were these, like, exotic towns, Sault Ste. Marie in Canada, and Thunder Bay, and so we we were looking and we were imagining, wow, let's let's hitchhike up there. That that would be a, a, a tremendous experience. And so as we're contemplating on what to do next, then uh, I don't know. I think it was my wife. One of us had came up with the idea. Wait a minute, this is some sort of a test to see how determined we are to see Srila Prabhupada to right. get his darshan. This is a test. 
And so, yeah, we we said, yes, we uh, agreed that it was a test. We decided to go to Detroit. And when we stuck out our thumbs on the highway, the very first car <laughs> that passed by <laughs> came to a screeching halt. <laughs> he got on and he said he's going to Detroit. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so, so you went to Detroit and you saw Prabhupada there? Yes, this is in July of 1971. We had wow. the, we had the good fortune to see Prabhupada, and this is a an, another instance of not only getting Prabhupada's darshan and seeing a pure devotee in action, but also when we got there, there's another moment where that brought us closer to Krishna consciousness, and that was when we got there. Uh, the devotees were in a frenzy. You know, in the old days, when Prabhupada was coming to the temple, everybody was running around and doing things, cleaning, scrubbing floors, painting walls, yeah, whatever. It, the whole atmosphere was uh, just super hyper. And so we came into this atmosphere where the devotees are running around and everybody's just totally absorbed. But one of the devotees, his name was Govardhan, he was the vice president of the temple. He actually stopped and greeted us and sat us down and took the time to bring us prashadam. Wow. And we were struck with just the, the graciousness of this devotee because we knew we had been around devotees long enough where we knew how important Srila Prabhupada was, and how important it was to prepare for Prabhupada's arrival. We understood that perfectly. Yeah. And we were struck with this devotee taking time out to get ready for Prabhupada's arrival to tend to us. And so, again, this was this act was heaps and heaps of way more important than anything anybody could share with us as according to the philosophy. Right. That's a great oh. second example. I mean, if devotees stop and, and, and greet people and be personal, that really affect it can affect someone like it did to you. No, it's a personal philosophy. That's it's all about Prabhupada even mentioned actually, if uh, there's a pujari on the altar and if someone comes in, the pujari could stop, uh, serving the deity and tend to the guest. Yes. This is how important. Even I think Prabhupada at one point stopped a lecture when he saw two people that were about to leave and he said, get them some prasadam before they leave. Right. And so this is the nature of uh, the Hare Krishna movement. This is what it's all about. You know, the philosophy is there. Yeah. But it's all about how we behave, how we relate to one another, and how we relate to people in general. Yeah. People are watching. People are watching us. We're always like, you know, on stage, so to speak. <laughs> people, people are watching how we behave. Yes. And so, I, so anyways, uh, we continued on. And... Um, by this time, like I said, we had gotten, um, we went to a hobby shop uh, a couple of months before, 
and um, made uh, the Joppa beads. And uh, in 1971 was a really a momentous time for us. We got married in April of 1971. Around that same time, we started chanting. So this is the 50th anniversary <coughs> of our marriage, of our um, chanting, our, uh, accepting Japa as a, uh, our meditation, and of meeting Srila Prabhupada. 50, 50 years ago. Wow. Congratulations. <coughs> Amazing. And so uh, we conti we continued. The next day, we we heard Prabhupada in the when he arrived, and then the, we heard the next uh, morning his talk. But we were kind of eager to get underway and just finally get someplace where we could settle down. And so we got to uh, Madison, Wisconsin, mm -hmm. and uh, settled down there. <clears throat> and a few months later, this couple showed up. To, with the intention of starting a temple there. Oh wow! So far, we hadn't we hadn't formally joined the Hare Krishnas even at this point after right. three years. <laughs> right. right now, I was full fledged uh, involved with this theater company in Madison for at least another year, and then we we finally uh, decided. Uh, uh, um, Rupa came to visit us. At one point, uh, with a few devotees, including uh, Ganesham, oh. Tirtha Swami, library party. No, well, this I had invited them up, especially oh. I, I got oh, okay. some programs together for them. This is in like 1972. Oh, um, no. I got some programs together and invited them up to, and they stayed with us for several days. We were very, Bhakti uh, Tirta Ganesham was, he was always so blissful, always so happy. We, had, you know, to be around, we, we weren't around devotees for any length of time, but here we had devotees staying with us in our uh, apartment for three or four days. And, you know, it was, it was very enlivening. And uh, we had decided to join. Uh, we were going to join the Chicago Temple. One of the reasons why we decided to join, really, it wasn't because of any of the preaching that the devotees did to us. <laughs> 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 but it was, <clears throat> since we didn't have devotee association, there was, th this couple came for uh, for maybe six months. And this, and uh, they stayed there, and they were making devotees. But, and I, I don't know, they, they, they didn't think it was productive enough, and they left. And they closed down the temple. And oh. then we were, we were there, and we took up, we continued with the Sunday feast. And uh, people were coming to our apartment. We were chanting, talking about Krishna consciousness. <laughs> continuing with the Sunday feast. <clears throat> and for ourselves, we had no association. So every Sunday morning, we listened to uh, a Christian radio station broadcast out of Minneapolis. And one Sunday morning, the, it was a pretty liberal station. And uh, one Sunday morning, they had a couple on. And the couple was telling about their experiences 
that they uh, had a nice house in Minneapolis. They uh, had just returned from a mission in Africa. They were in Africa for like a year or two. They had just come back and they were being interviewed. And they were saying how enlivened they were and they had given up their house, uh, they uh, sold their possessions, and they involved themselves full-time in the ministry. And as we were listening to this uh, interview, my wife and I both realized, <laughs> wow, the, this couple made the such a commitment to their faith. Right. And we're holding back. We were very impressed with the way this couple conducted themselves in the interview and the stories they shared. And from that, um, listening to that uh, interview, that's what pushed us. We, we have to make, this couple made such a, a tremendous change in their lives, a, such a tremendous commitment. We have to make a similar commitment Wow. What we what we believe in. And so when sometimes when I meet with Christians, I tell them actually it was because of some Christian uh, the ministers that I I'm I wound up as a Hare Krishna. <laughs> it's interesting how we can find inspiration in the most unlikely places that you found inspiration to that kind of pushed you forward over that little hump that might have been there. But this came from not from devotees. It came well, not you know devotees of Krishna, but devotees of God in in the the Christian faith. So very cool to hear that. And I believed early on that the you know I saw the need for the movement to make bridges, right? And, uh, so we were associating with the Chicago devotees. We went down to the temple a couple of times. They had come up. One of the um, groups that had came up with Satsrupa Maharaj. But when we had our uh, first, uh, our son, he was born in Madison, Wisconsin in 1972. And so I felt that there needed to be a connection uh, between the East and the West. And so we named our son Joshua Sanjaya. So we named from the Bible and from the Bhagavad Gita. Oh, right, right. So the devotees were kind of, you know, they were a little bit upset and disappointed. Joshua yeah. and Jaya. <laughs> so, you know, they were, but I've, I had a firm belief that we needed to make connections and to build bridges right. with, uh, between uh, the East and the West. Mm. And so then when, when did you, so what happened, where were you kind of practicing? You were practicing in Madison, Wisconsin for a number of years before you went to, uh, tell you went, yeah, tell us what happened there. Well, then we, like I said, after this, uh, in 1973, our son was born in 72. And then in 73, we, and, and uh, I think visited us. It, either at the end of 72 or the beginning of 73. But then we finally uh, decided to make uh, that move. And we joined the temple in Chicago. Actually, they were gracious enough. Uh, a few of the devotees lived outside. 
yeah. some families and they uh, uh, paid for the uh, the rent for the families that were involved in full-time service to the temple so i think there were maybe four or five families that were living within a block or two mm -hmm. of the temple and at 74 uh, and 75 Prabhupada also visited uh, Chicago and we had a, again we had a very good fortune to wow. see him there and but by 76 we um, you know we had uh, our daughter was born in 75 and we were very leery about bringing our children up in a um, in a big city mm -hmm. and we were also very leery because our daughter was one years old and our son was three we were very leery about the idea of sending them away to some uh, ashram right. uh, the gurukula um, mm -hmm. we called up Jagadish in Dallas at the time that was the main I think the main and the only well there was another school in New Vrindavan so that was our choice to go to Dallas or to go to New Vrindavan uh, or, so um, <clears throat> because we weren't going to send the kids away without us being close by to supervise them we didn't didn't have that much faith so to speak I, yeah i was just going to say that i mean a lot of other devotees were doing the exact opposite they're like all in you know like <laughs> send all the kids and we're going to go on sankirtan and do the whole thing um, we were too attached <clears throat> but anyways um at that time we in we decided to move to new Brindavan. And we knew New Brindavan was a very austere place. Yeah. We understood. Uh, and we were, so we also heard that whatever you do uh, at the time of uh, Gorpunim or at, even at the time of Nityananda's appearance day, if you do some, if you initiate something on those days, it'll fructify in success. So we knew that we needed all the mercy we could get. And so, uh, first of all, we got permission from the temple president who gave us permission to leave and to, and to go to New Vrindavan. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we were, <clears throat> I, I had made, uh, I, we packed up all of our stuff. We were leaving in, in a few days. And we, uh, I, I, set, I sent most of our stuff in boxes ahead on the, on the bus. I didn't want to carry all those boxes and schlep those around. So uh, we got everything together, took them down to the bus station, and they went via the bus, Greyhound bus. And we we're going to pick up in a week or two later, we would be picking up those things in the bus station in Wheeling, West Virginia. So when I got back from dropping my stuff off and shipping it out to West Virginia, <laughs> the president says, I just heard on the radio. <laughs> that New Brindavan has been quarantined. <laughs> and I thought he was joking. Really? But this was national news for some reason, that New Brindavan was under quarantine. No one could come in, no one could leave. It was under quarantine. And so this 
I thought first he was just kidding, but uh, I listened to the radio and uh, sure enough, it, it came up a couple of times. This uh, news, uh, I don't know, it seemed to be newsworthy to some people. <laughs> so it was being broadcast uh, several times throughout the day. So uh, we were in a, in a dilemma, but we thought we're going to go anyways. And um, even though we had two young kids, and uh, in a sense, we were foolhardy enough <laughs> to go through with the, um, through with the move. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we came in. This is, uh, it was a hepatitis. Oh, this is the first time I'm hearing about this. Okay, but this is in 1976 in March. So we were, our whole idea was let's get the mercy of Lord Chaitanya and go, go there, arrive there on his appearance day. Yeah. And so, we were like locked into that. Otherwise, if we postponed the trip, we wouldn't get the mercy of Chaitanya. That was in, you know, that's the way we thought. And so uh, we got to, we got there in Pittsburgh, and one old time devotee, Bokta, uh, he passed away some years back, but Bokta picked us up at the uh, station, and. He, we waited until the dead of night, and there's two entrances to into Nuvrindavan. One, the main entrance, is on 250, coming in uh, from Wheeling on 250, yeah, going uh, into Nuvrindavan, and that entrance was guarded by the police day and night. But the other entrance, which was an old country dirt road, a winding dirt road that practically took forever to get here. Bokta brought us up that direction in the dead of night. And as we were driving up and up further through the foliage, the, the, tree, the trees and the, the ambiance was unbelievable. And as we were getting closer and closer, the energy in the vehicle, the van, was kind of surcharged. The, the, energy, the energy was like kind of bouncing off the walls and we were... All of us were just chanting on our japa beads in the dead of night, making our way uh, up to Nubrindavan. And so uh, that was on the eve of Gorpunim. And the next day, uh, we attended Mangal Arti. And then uh, the thing, the quarantine was still in effect. But just at that time, you know, we were thinking that we were going to get a huge feast for Gorpunim. <laughs> at least we'd have that. Right. But uh, they had just um, uh, t spoken to an Ayurvedic doctor. And he told them that if you want to wipe this out completely, this hepatitis, then everyone has to go on a mung fast, a mung water, not even a mung soup. You boil the mung beans and then you only consume the water. You don't consume the beans. Right. them in the pot the, so this was a, a diet that we uh, we imposed uh, for seven days mung water two or three times a day couldn't get any mahaprasadam or anything and so uh, we survived that and uh, we uh, lived 
in a little, what is called a Prabhupada house, which is a little house that Prabhupada designed. It's a one-room house with no electricity and no running water. And they moved us into that house. <laughs> so we were there with two kids. And th this, this area, I still live, I, I only live across the street from where we first moved to in Nuvendavan 40, 45 years ago to that little Prabhupada house. There were four or five of them, but they they all dilapidated. They they disappeared because of disuse. Right. But Prabhupada was very excited, and he said that everyone they should build a thousand of these little Prabhupada houses. He made a little design, but it never took off. It never went any place. So, anyways, we've been here in Nuvendavan all these years. Uh, since 1976, and uh, fortunately, uh, Prabhupada visited. His last visit to Nuvendavan was in 1976, and I'm very fortunate. Again, I, I have unlimited amounts of blessings and fortune because my wife and I, over over 20 years now, we uh, we are living in the house that Prabhupada used the last time he was here, and he wow. gave. He gave darshan on the our front lawn every evening for ten days, nine or ten days. This was in June of nineteen seventy six. Actually, this it's about the same time of year seventy uh, forty five years ago in nineteen seventy six. And so uh, we had the good fortune to see uh, Srila Prabhupada and here he. He spoke uh, for small groups on the front lawn, and uh, the the devotees were all assigned a day or two to um, come up to the front lawn. So there wasn't a huge crowd yeah. uh, around Prabhupada. It was a very intimate atmosphere. And uh, when I was uh, the the day that I attended the evening uh, darshan, uh, Prabhupada was talking about. Um, the Bhagavad Gita, and he was saying that uh, we should present the Bhagavad Gita in the business places and in the factories. And the one devotee raised his hand. He said, well, Prabhupada, why would the businesses and the companies and the factories uh, let us come in to preach about Bhagavad Gita? Yeah. <laughs> so Prabhupada said that, tell them that if they study the Bhagavad Gita, and they uh, begin to apply it in their lives, their work will improve. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so this is, you know, this is like a motivational seminar. What Prabhupada was suggesting, and the motivational se seminars didn't really pick up until the 80s and 90s. That right. was when the motivational seminars were in full swing. Companies were inviting people in. But here, Prabhupada in the 70s, were, he was already suggesting a motivational seminar based on the principles of Bhagavad Gita. He wasn't so, saying he wasn't saying go in there and preach to them about Krishna consciousness or or chant you could chant this mantra or anything like he said. If you read this, your work will improve. That's a very very uh, you know broad minded. Yes, Prabhupada was um, tremendously broad minded. Uh, and, and I have a, you know, a bit of a peeve with the devotees, uh, 
because they, you know, what uh, the, what Prabhupada wrote, and that what Prabhupada, the recordings of Prabhupada, and the letters and the conversations, they constitute millions and millions of words. Yeah. So nowadays, it seems that devotees are picking and choosing. You oh, know, totally, they, totally. They, right. Yeah, yeah. They have their quotes of Prabhupada that supports their particular paradigm, yes. supports their particular agenda. But Prabhupada actually, he made so many contradictory statements that any, you know, just like, for instance, with the dress, you know, Prabhupada made so many uh, statements about the normal dress, uh, uh, dress of a gentleman, yeah. that's perfectly fine. Yes. And then he also made uh, statements about the transcendental attire of, you know, so devotees are bickering back and forth. <laughs> you know, let them just do, you know, everyone has, can, can take things of Prabhupada and present it in, in their own way, in their mm -hmm. own initiative. One of Prabhupada's famous or, or, or favorite statements was go in like a needle. So we have to find our own needle. For some people, that needle may be the Republican Party. You know? <laughs> the devotees are all gung-ho about the Republican Party. Other yeah. people, their needle may be Black Lives Matter, or their needle may be the Democratic Party. Right. My, my particular needle was theater and storytelling. And so, in a sense, we each have to find our own needle. And mm -hmm. this, I, after being in Nuvindavan, I came from the city temple in Chicago. Can I, ask you, can I ask you a question before you go into that? Um, you, you're saying about, I, I like that point you made about everyone needs to find their needle. But, but to, if I could play devil's advocate for a second. Sure. What if that needle that you're using can be, can be misrepresenting the philosophy of Krishna consciousness. That's a, that's very important. <clears throat> uh, like for example, the a certain political party or so, certain political uh, movement. That's why Prabhupada, I just recently read that Prabhupada said that the devotees can engage in different activities, but they have their intention is not to get carried away by these different activities. Right. Their intention right. is to present Krishna consciousness. Right. That's I see. their intention. And Bhakti Tirta, back uh, years and years ago, uh, he, he also said something because um, we were talking about building bridges to, uh, you know, this is the idea of what type of bridges can we create to bring people closer? And he made one very important uh, point. He says, yes, you want to build a bridge, but you want to make sure when people come across that bridge, they're coming to Krishna consciousness. <laughs> wow, that's such a great point. Yeah. Build, build the bridge, but then when people come back, make sure they're coming to Krishna consciousness. Yeah. Because that is a fantastic. We may, we may lose that intention. Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I know people have uh, tried to build bridges and they lose that intention 
they they lose the goal of the or the purpose of the bridge and yeah. they get carried away and they're swept away and they're gone from the movement i think so, it's a matter of someone's krishna consciousness as well like how deeply have they imbibed the philosophy and the practice themselves and then they're able to kind of like uh, you know um interact with others according to where uh, according to where the, those people are and meet them there but then also you know giving their association not always taking that and then uh, right. absorbing it into them some changing something or but but actually uh using that as a as a bridge to bring people back to krishna consciousness i love that point no that so is you know like yoga could be a bridge the yes. bodies are uh uh, uh, setting up yoga classes and temples, and that's a very viable bridge. But devotees can't get carried away and think that yoga is more important than the Krishna consciousness. Sure, sure. Devotees can, can't get carried away and think that the Republican doctrine <laughs> is more important than the Krishna consciousness. Right. Devotees get can't, can't get carried away. But we can all find our own needles and if we are intent enough we have to be pretty grounded and, and the, like i mentioned i wanted to mention that after spending a couple of years here in new vindavan because in chicago i was going out to the airport distributing books i was going downtown chicago i made a vow for some months i would take a, a case of bhagavad gita a hundred bhagavad gitas downtown Chicago and distribute them every day. So I was doing that regularly for months. Or I didn't like going out to the airport. I, I, I did go out to the airport and distributed books at the O'Hara airport, but I liked to, to meet like just the common people. Yeah, And uh, that was kind of my forte, getting in touch with the common everyday people, not the people in the upper echelons that can afford a book for ten dollars or you know i just want to get in touch with the regular common people so to speak mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so then where when did you uh, so you've been staying in new vrindavan for the past 45 years tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about how that's been i mean new vrindavan has gone through so many different phases oh. Yeah, some kind of crazy phases, and then you well, know, let, now let me finish my other point because I forgot. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I'll lead into what you're talking about. Uh, after a couple of years in New Vrindavan, I realized that to, to go uh, into Krishna consciousness for the long haul, yeah, you really needed to find your own needle. And I, I was involved, before I got in, in Krishna consciousness, I was involved in theater for, and I was really connected with that. In a sense, that was like a spiritual element in my life, a, a, a part of my spiritual path. And so I had, re once we joined the temple in Chicago, I rejected that. And here in Nuvindavan, I was thinking, what am I really going to get into? And I was thinking about, Maybe I'll learn stained glass, or maybe I'll learn something. I'll, I'll work with the, uh, at one point I was uh, working with the milk and, and making cheese, and I was trying to get different books out 
to see how I, I could, what type of cheeses I can make. But I was really, I wasn't very good with my hands. I was, you know, I, I just uh, uh, fell on my face miserably. But then I realized, wait a minute, I do have something I'm connected with, yeah. my theater. And so I started a, a theater uh, effort here in Nuvendaven. And uh, to begin that, I uh, after the Palace of Gold opened, uh, I went to New York City and worked with the players there. That's that uh, thing behind me. I joined the players <coughs> in, in their uh, performance of the Ramayan. This is on 55th Street and uh, off of uh, 8th Avenue at the Temple. Wow. They had, besides having a theater, they had a theater on the third floor. They had a gift shop. They had a temple. They had a vegetarian restaurant in the basement. And we performed uh, three days, three a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, yeah. the Ramayan. Uh, and I, I went there to get trained up with uh, the devotees there and see how to present uh, plays and still maintain your Krishna consciousness at the same time. Wow. So, uh, I, I made a, I, there was Nanda Kishore and Loka Mangala, uh, some of the early thespians of the Vaikuntha players. And Loka Mangala and I hit it off. Um, but unfortunately, they sold out the New York Temple. They sold it. Right. And this is a 12-story building that they purchased, and Prabhupada was so pleased. And when he came there, he told them never to sell this place. And they, you know, they had the mentality of like um, traveling Sankirtan. That the problem they had a problem with the elevators. The elevators. Uh, weren't functioning properly. Very often the devotees had to s sprint up to the eighth or ninth or 10th floor, wherever they were living. And so rather than getting the elevators fixed properly, because it, it did cost a lot of money, they just sold out the building. Mm. Uh, and uh, part of that money went to Prabhupada's uh, Samadhi in Brindavan. Right. And so that was the justification. We're going to help uh, uh, fund Prabhupada Samadhi. And when I was visiting in New York, working with the players, the Vaikuntha players, uh, I was there in the room when the temple authorities were unfolding this plan. And really? I thought to myself, this is a big, big mistake. You did, did, you, did you say anything? I mean, that must have been, I, like, how could you, right? I didn't say a word. Right. The idea is, Prabhupada always says that if you put together a bundle of sticks, then they'll be very strong. But if you separate the sticks, then they can break very easily. So it was years after they sold that building. It was years and years before they actually got their footing again. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they've, and uh, so they're there. Now they have several places, you know, the Bhakti Center, and they have the uh, temple in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, 26 Second Avenue is still functioning, isn't isn't it? It is, yeah. Good. I'm glad. To, I haven't been in New York for over 20 years now. You so, haven't been back? 
Well, I used to go back periodically on a regular basis in the 80s and 90s, but now I've done a lot of traveling. And that's so what, one of the things that I did, um, getting back to about Nubrindavan. Yes, yes. The whole, you know, what Wait, happened. Before, before we go into Nubrindavan, I want to talk a little bit about Prabhupada really appreciated theater. And he, he he said a number of things that that you know this philosophy and the stories and everything can really be expressed uh, very nicely and in a very palatable way to people to like the public with with theater. So I know that like the players and every they all you know they at Rathiatras they did dramas and things like that. Let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, uh, yes, <clears throat> and because I, very fortunately I had the association of Loka Mangala for many years. Yeah. We collaborated. He moved here to Nuvendavan. We collaborated on a number of things. And our magnum opus that we collaborated on was a two-man drama of the Mahabharat that we took back to New York in 1987. We rented a theater in Midtown Manhattan. But he constantly, Loka was explaining to me how Prabhupada was so supportive yeah. of the theater. A lot of devotees poo-pooed the theater people. Really? And they they thought they were taking up too much time rehearsing. it Because to present something properly, to present something effectively, you really have to put in the time to rehearse and connect with the lines of, of the script and connect with the person that you're playing. That yeah. And Lokamangala taught me that and he and he explained a lot of things that Prabhupada had said one of the things that, that somehow rather the, the theater devotees found themselves in uh, California in Los Angeles for uh, some time in the in the mid mid 70s and so uh Prabhupada actually he invited the theater company at that time to come to Mayapur to perform. Right, he, heard that. It was about 15 people in the theater company. And he paid their way. Prabhupada <laughs> personally sponsored their trip to <laughs> Mayapur to come and perform for the festival. This is how committed Prabhupada was. Other devotees, they, they kind of like thought it was good. You know, sometimes when Prabhupada was watching, came to see a play, there was a famous, um, I think, photograph of Prabhupada watching a play in uh, New York. He was watching the play. Everybody was watching Prabhupada. <laughs> 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 wanted to see how Prabhupada would react. Yes, yes. And during one, one scene... Loka Mangala played Ravana. He was he was a fantastic Ravana. He's famous as Ravana. And in one scene, the kidnapping scene, and Sita, of course, is a a, a devotee, a girl, a woman devotee. And in one scene, uh, to kidnap Sita, he physically picked her up and threw her over his shoulder oh and upstanded with her, and. The you know there there were devotees there were sannyasis in the in the audience and they were cringing they were thinking <laughs> Loka Mangla is a brahmachari how oh. can a brahmachari ever think to grab hold 
of a devotee like that, a, a female devotee like that. But, but Prabhupada didn't miss a beat. Prabhupada was totally absorbed in the play and he was like exclaiming, what a rascal this Ravana is to abscond with Sita. Oh so, you know, Prabhupada was totally absorbed in the play, wow. not even thinking about male or female contact between devotees. Wow. And this is the liberal, you know, the far reaching nature of Srila um, Prabhupada. Beautiful. Brings tears to my eyes. Wow. <clears throat> Amazing story. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Prabhupada had written a letter in the in the early days of the theater company, the Vaikuntha Players, and he said, I saw, this was in India, he was expressing his experience. He said, I saw two men on a bare stage, and they were playing a Shakespeare, and everyone was applauding. So Loka Mangla and I took took that um, quote from Prabhupada, and we made that into kind of a reality, because we we were going to perform the Mahabharata in New York City. I had heard uh, this was in 1987. At the end of 1986, I had heard that Peter Brook, who's an in, an internationally famous director, a theater director. Right. He got together in in France a nine hour drama of Mahabharata, and he right. was taking that all over the world. It was an international cast, and so I had heard that they were coming to America. They were coming first to the West Coast, and then at the end of nineteen eighty seven, they were going to spend three months in. Uh, Brooklyn at the Brooklyn Academy of Music performing. And so I thought, well, if he's going to be there, we're going to be there at the same time. Of course, we couldn't afford to rent a theater for three months. It was like $1,000 a week. And in 1987, that was steep money. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> of course, nowadays it would be much more expensive. But uh, we rented a theater for six weeks. And we performed uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. <clears throat> and people were coming. There was even a couple of people that came from the Peter Brook production uh, to, to, to see. And we even got an article in the New York Times. Really? Yeah, and the article said they referred to us as the other Mahabharata. Oh. It was Peter Brooks Mahabharat, and then there was the other Mahabharat, and people were coming, and uh, and it also mentioned that we were disciples of His Divine Grace. Right, right. And so, Aloka Mangla and I, we when we were developing the play, we were looking for other people that would join us. Yeah, we we couldn't find anybody to make that type of a commitment. We, prof we rehearsed for like five or six months. And then we were performing in New York for six weeks. And after that, we were going to tour with it and take it on the road to colleges and other places. We actually uh, uh, toured with the Mahabharat for four years. And so uh, no one wanted to make that type of a commitment. Yeah. So we rewrote the Mahabharat. And uh, we rewrote it for two actors. Loka Mangla and myself. He played six roles. 
He played uh, Yudhisthira. He played Krishna. He played Drona. And he played Dhritarashtra, the blind king, uh, several other characters. Uh, Vid uh, um, he played, uh, well, I played Vidura and uh, Shakuni. <clears throat> no, he played Shakuni. So I, pl I played Duryodhan, Vidura, and Arjun. And he played six other characters. Wow. And so we were constantly, we were both storytellers and actors assuming different roles it was it was like uh, you know it was uh, i was into uh the nature of using storytelling in on the stage right <clears throat> and so uh we rewrote the play and then one night after the after the new york times uh review came out somebody we would go into the lobby after the performance and as people were leaving, we would thank them for coming. And uh, one person, actually, who was a, a drama student at Columbia College, and he said, you know, I've seen you people around chanting on the streets. And whenever I see you people, I always cross the street and avoid you. I, I try to avoid you like anything. But now you've made me come to see you, and I even have paid ten dollars to get in. <laughs> <laughs> wow! And uh, he invited us to. Uh, he he wanted to interview us for his uh, dr drama studies and his uh, paper that he was working on, and so uh, he he said, "You guys are building a." He used the word bridge. We didn't come up and use it, but he said, "You're building a bridge." <clears throat> And so that was our intention. And uh, another person that came that we met in the lobby, and I'm friends with him st still to this day, was a Jewish author and storyteller. And he said that he he's into the mystical Jewish tradition, the Hasidim. And he said that he studied Prabhupada and Chaitanya because he felt there was a that mystical... Uh, kind of experience in the Hasidim was also being delivered by Prabhupada and Chaitanya. He, wow. was, very, he was very conversant with the Chaitanya and the Chaitanya Chartamrita. And so <clears throat> this is in 1987. And he told us that when I saw the review and I read that you were disciples of Srila Prabhupada, I realized that you're the real Mahabharat and Peter Brooks is the shadow Mahabharat. Wow. You guys are, are performing the real Mahabharat. And so we had experiences like this all the time that people <clears throat> were over kind of overwhelmed <clears throat> sure. with, with seeing the performance. <clears throat> wow. But Later on, <clears throat> I uh, Loka Mangala, of course, there were things going on here in Nuvindavan that he didn't agree with. He left uh, in Nuvindavan in 1990. One of the last performances that we did together was uh, for the Himalayan Institute, Swami Rama, their um, ashram in uh, Honesdale, Pennsylvania. And uh, there was a big event that was going on there, and they invited us to perform there. 
a few months earlier, we even performed for um, Chinmayananda. Uh, Chin, There's some, uh, uh, some, maybe you know him. He used to be into the athletics. He was uh, encouraged his devotee. I don't know if his name is Chinmayananda. Chin, um, I forget, um, but he has a um, a community in Queens of people. Okay. I don't know if you've ever come across. No, I haven't. I, I forget. Uh, his his name is not exactly Chinmayananda, but he also when we, when uh, we perform for his group in Queens. There are about four or five hundred people in the audience. All, every, all of them were his students and disciples. After the play was over, he came on stage and he started glorifying Srila Prabhupada. Wow. He's saying Prabhupada is all of our guru. All of us, we are the disciples of Srila Prabhupada. And wow. uh, telling this to his 400 disciples. Mm -hmm. Of the power and the importance of Prabhupada's mission sure. in America, and so the, these are the type of re reactions that we were getting like all the time from from that, people. That was your needle. That was the, your. That's the right. That's what was our needle. <clears throat> right. Let's talk a little bit about New Vrindavan because I made a kind of a diversion to what Prabhupada said about theater, but let's let's talk about New Vrindavan. I mean, like I said, there was kind of some weird things going on at that time. And how did you how did you navigate all that? Well, you know, there was a, it was like a roller coaster ride. <laughs> at first, you know, uh, Kirtananda had kind of endeared himself to uh, Loka Mangla and I, he gave us full reign of uh, what we wanted to do or where okay. we wanted to travel. We okay. were gone for several months out of the year, like in New York. We also spent a month or two in Philadelphia. Even we were be still being invited to even temples. So there was, you know, we were still connected. We, we, we were the thread that was still connected connecting the um, uh, the re residents and the rascals in uh, Nuvindavan to the rest of the ISKCON movement. <clears throat> so, uh, you, you know, um, there was one, uh, I don't know if it was um, <clears throat> one of the um, New Age um, soothsayers, uh, he, he, made, he made the comments about you deposit money in a bank account and then you know there's so much money in the account and you begin to withdraw the account and so that was happening kirtananda actually he had the blessings and the the uh, the goodwill of Prabhupada and everybody in the entire hari krishna movement right and then gradually he began to change things mm -hmm. and so the, the 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 trust the account was there but when you start changing things you're using up that trust that uh you've you built up so to speak yeah and so okay i didn't mind it and actually some of the things that he was doing he was trying to make internet uh, interfaith connections sure 
and 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 then that was uh, at the beginning of my Krishna consciousness. That was what I was all about. Uh, making those connections, uh, like I mentioned, I, I um, named my son Joshua Sanjaya. And I was even, uh, before I even joined the, in Chicago, I was visiting churches and talking with the uh, rabbis and other people in Madison, Wisconsin. <clears throat> yeah. So I was very connected to interfaith. And I appreciated that he was making these interfaith connections. But unfortunately, at the same time, he was uh, changing yeah. things here in Nuvendavan, wearing the dhotis and or to wearing the robes, chanting a, a Hare Krishna. To Krish, he was Krishnaizing many Christian songs. You know, yeah. like there's one famous song, "Onward, Christian Soldiers," right? So. Now they're singing in at the temple, onward, Krishna's soldiers. <laughs> right. so he grew up in a very fundamentalist uh, background, Christian yeah. background. His father was a preacher. But what happened <clears throat> is that Krish, uh, Kirtananda, <clears throat> uh, in 1980, uh, I think it was in 87 as, as well, or maybe 80, it could be 86, he was smashed over the head with a, a, a lead bar by some disgruntled Hare Krishna devotee who was just here for a short time. Right. He was, Kirtananda wound up in the hospital. He was um, <clears throat> uh, unconscious for uh, in, in coma for a month. Then when he came out of coma, he had, he had some physical re rehabilitation but he had no mental rehabilitation. And the that's what is necessary, both physical and utilizing the mind again. Later we found out that usually with people with that type of uh, tra trauma, they resort back to their younger years. And so Kirtananda was resorting back in his various tendencies, yeah. whatever they may be, <clears throat> back to his uh, younger, younger life, and uh, I could, um, <clears throat> you know, at 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 some point, uh, the for me the bank account was t withdrawn. <laughs> right, and, uh, but withdrawn. But fortunately, both my wife and I, we both had solid uh, services that we were absorbed in and myself was my theater work yeah my, my wife was uh, a teacher here in the uh, academic teacher for the for the school we had about a hundred school-aged children and uh, uh, 10 teachers at the time and an, a full functioning school that was acknowledged by the state of West Virginia so um, we were both fortunate that we both had like, because there were even senior uh, Prabhupada disciples here in Nuvendavan that in one sense were sold out to Kirtananda. And uh, once in a while, somebody would um, approach us and ask us about, you know, you know, if you can't see eye to eye with Kirtananda, what are you doing here? <laughs> 
Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. And I said, this is my home. And this is Prabhupada's, um, Prabhupada's um, <clears throat> project. Because at one time, what, what, you know, at one time he declared himself that he is the founder Acharya of Nuvindavan. And that was uh, just like the last straw. <clears throat> Although I'm not like a radical person, I've always considered myself like in the British term, what they use, the loyal opposition. So I, you know, I don't want to see Kirtananda burnt to the ground. I wanted the best for him. Right. He he did far more service for Srila Prabhupada than I could ever do. You know, yeah. he he built this Nubrindavan. He inspired the, the, the devotees here, without a doubt. But, right. you know, enough is enough. There has to be a, a, a um, parting of the, uh, <clears throat> you know, the uh, <clears throat> the road is parting. But anyways, we didn't know how, <clears throat> but we felt that Nubrindavan was going to uh, survive and change. You know, there was, Kirtananda was the main guy here. And uh, he, Krishna, got him out of the way. No, no one else could do it. Krishna got him out of the way. He uh, went back to jail, <clears throat> and he spent eight years in jail. There was a fraction of devotees who were staunchly Kirtananda people and also um, the Prabhupada people, and there was there was a court. We were friends, actually. You know, we this was our we were brothers, but we couldn't see eye to eye. And there was in the morning there was an an hour or so dedicated to the uh, Kirtananda vision of the morning service. And then there was an hour or so dedicated to the Prabhupada vision of the morning service. Right. So things went on in a very cordial way because the devotees still respected each other. Mm. So this is another thing that I see that, especially if you look on Facebook and social media, the devotees are at each other's back, you know, <laughs> for the littlest things, right? You know, and it's an awful thing to see. Yeah, um, we and this the the public is looking at how we behave amongst ourselves and amongst each other. You know, this is the preaching. How mm -hmm. how do you honor? Other Vaishnavas, even though you may not agree with them, how can you honor other Vaishnavas? That's the most important preaching that we can do today. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, thanks for saying that. I I, I do definitely agree. Uh, we do see a lot of online <clears throat> devotees at each other's throats, and and for for very little reasons, much much more smaller reasons than. You know, what you're talking about being in Yurandavan and doing a program for for the for the Christian kind of program and the Prabhupada program, but doing it together and and having mutual respect is is really interesting. Um, so so when 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 there was like a mass exodus of devotees 
leaving New Vrindavan. Mm-hmm. You just thought, you know, this is my place, and, mm-hmm. and this is Prabhupada's place, and I'm going to stick around. Were there were there uh, others like you? I mean, oh yeah, are you are you one of the longest, longest standing members there since the beginning, right? No, there are other people here that are still here from, you know, earlier than I. I came to New Vrindavan in 76, although I joined in 73. Yeah. I've been a resident of New Vrindavan, but there are devotees, Varshana Maharaj. He arrived in 72. There are so many other wonderful devotees here right. who have kept the flame going for many, many years, Amazing. since the early and mid-70s. That really fascinates me because the, the 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 way young people work now is like, or just I guess my generation also, it's like when we don't like something or something isn't comfortable or to our our liking. I already said that we just move on. We like go somewhere else. Like when things get tough, we just move somewhere else. I mean, I, I still want to get inside your mind a little bit about. Why? I mean, is it your personality? Or is it your wife's personality too? To just like, I think I'm a, I'm a stubborn person, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and just as stubborn as I was to join, then I'm just as stubborn to stay. Yeah, I see. I see. Okay. I was kind of stubborn. It took me three years to actually join the Hare Krishna, but I'm just as stubborn once I. <laughs> You know, you got to be stubborn. You got to yeah. have a vision for yourself. That's why I was thinking that we, we came to New Vrindavan because we knew it wasn't going to be easy. That's why we uh, looked for Chaitanya's mercy by coming to New Vrindavan on Chaitanya's appearance day. Mm. Get Chaitanya's blessings to get the blessings of the Parampara, to get the blessings of the Vaishnavas. I didn't feel part of Nuvindavan for several years, actually. In those days, it was very cliquish of coming to Nuvindavan. I didn't, but the the thing is that one one of the um, <clears throat> one of the things <clears throat> I think I lost my track of thought. <clears throat> but anyways, it it's important not to you know make the mad elephant offense. Mm-hmm. Don't attack. Don't become critical of people who don't agree with you. Or maybe mm-hmm. they've done something that you don't particularly care for. Like yeah. the devotees, like I said, in 1971 in, um, in, in Toronto, they promised us a ride to Detroit. <laughs> and they didn't fulfill that promise. But yeah. my wife and I, the last thing we wanted to do, we, we, it didn't even cross our minds. Oh, yeah. the devotees, look at this. They broke their promise. What type of people are these? So, you know, we have a nature, both my wife and I, and one of the reasons why our marriage is working, and as, you know, it's, it's because we, 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 we want to look for solutions. We're not looking for, to criticize others. We're not. Point we're not, fingers. Right. We're, we're looking, how can we, what's, what's the solution to the problem? Yeah. Not we want to expound and, and, and condemn somebody and just build upon the problem. Yeah. That's what's happening nowadays. Yeah. 
people are build they they basically they're creating the mad elephant offense they're right. criticizing devotees and uh, you know Prabhupada said you need to respect everyone you can respect even an ant respect it so that's that's something that uh, you know my wife and I we we're we're very leery of being critical I have that tendency myself and my my wife always gets on my case ah look at <laughs> you know I, and wow. she she, she uh, catches me she confesses right. me about that <laughs> it's, it's cool that you mentioned her I want to kind of segue into this next topic about you've been married for 50 years Mm -hmm. what an accomplishment i mean that in itself speaks so much about <laughs> you and your wife i mean please impart some i mean i've been married uh eight years now and mm -hmm. i feel like it's 50 i feel like it's 50 years sort of but but if you could kind of tell us how did you do it how did you do that for so long and what kind of lessons have you learned on the way you know it's not that we agreed all the time <clears throat> of course it was you know there was rough spots but the thing we always told each other listen we're intelligent people we have if there's some problem we can figure it out we're intelligent people let's figure it out you know most people like you said uh if they find something discomfortable in a relationship they'll drop it and move on right <clears throat> but we we're in a sense we're problem solvers we want to know how can we work things out to make this work to make it a win-win situation and so we've come to uh, over the years to see our marriage as a partnership we're partners we're and and and, and one thing that's very good is that like i mentioned earlier I have a very strong connection to my own service in Krishna consciousness. And she has a very strong, she's been teaching here in Nuvindavan for over 40 years with the kids. She's uh, preparing for her, um, uh, uh, you know, her beginning of the student, uh, the school, the classrooms in, in September. She's already thinking about. She's still, te she's still teaching there. Yes, yeah, she's teaching. Amazing. So she's been teaching for four, over forty years. Wow! And so we, we, should, we should mention her name uh, just to honor her. Ruchi. 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 Ruchi uh, David Dasti. Thank you. And we met in college. You met in college, <laughs> and we got involved in this journey together. And right. so it's been a journey, and it's been bumps in the road. <clears throat> but the thing is that it's based it has to be based on partnership and on mutual respect and the also the ability to support one another <clears throat> yes you no know, she supports me in my work i'm supporting her in uh, her work you know when the classes when her classes begin she has to leave pretty early in the morning yeah. i'm making a breakfast for her and I also make lunch for her. Oh, that's wow! Four days a week, I'm making breakfast and lunch, and sometimes I'm I'm also making dinner, because in the evening, very often, she's preparing for the next day. <clears throat> so I appreciate, you know, I marvel at her commitment 
And I'm, I marvel at her approach to her teaching and her service. Right. I'm, I'm just in awe of it. And no. she respects and is committed to uh, supporting my work as well. So um, we are very fortunate that we each have our own particular services that we are totally connected with. <clears throat> I'm really glad that um, that we're talking about this because there are some devotees like yourselves who are like hitting gems in our movement. You know, we always see we always see certain devotees, and and we we. Um, <laughs> We're kind of in the public facing public eye, but devotees like yourselves are not in the public eye and, and uh, to come on the podcast and, and to hear your story and to talk about this has been really amazing. And I commend you for, for such a long, successful marriage. Really, really appreciate it. I mean, when you, another question comes is like when some, some young devotees husbands have come to me kind of and asked me like, Okay, in, initially there's that attraction to the to your wife, and and then when that wears off, what do you do? So, what would you say to that? I mean, being married to the same person for fifty years, <laughs> how how would you how do you approach that? Well, she tells me, and I also feel the same way. She said, she tells me she's finding out about th things about me that she's never known before. <laughs> <laughs> And I, sometimes I'm I'm mentioning stuff about uh, my past that I've never mentioned before, <clears throat> and so uh, <clears throat> I think the other day I was talking to somebody, and I was mentioning them. My first inklings of spiritual life was uh, when I was a teenager. I would stay up late and watch the uh, Steve Allen show. This was the forerunner of, like, uh, I forget, all of these late-night shows. Okay. You know, Steve Allen, back in the 50s and early 60s, yeah. he was the first one, the late-night guy, Steve Allen. Mm. And one night, he had a Buddhist monk on. And I thought, wow, a Buddhist monk. <laughs> and he, I, I was enthralled by what he said about meditation and about uh, detachment. Yeah. And I started to, uh, to meditate, you know, based on just what this Buddhist monk shared on the Steve Allen show very briefly for like 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. My wife said, I, I've never heard that story. <laughs> what? You've never told me that. Oh my goodness. Like you would think at 50 years of being married, you learn, hear everything about the other person. And so, uh, you know, we respect one another. Yeah. And uh, that seems to be a big theme that you're talking about. It, it's not like when you, for me, I'm the type of person that if I find something like something, uh, I'm just going to stick with it. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> Um, I'm just going to, uh, it's not that I'm complacent or lazy, but you know, I'm the type of, a, in my nature, I, uh, this is a Leo, they make commitments, mm. they make lifelong commitments. So, but it doesn't matter what, uh, you know, what, what your stars are. It's uh, the matter of your mindset, 
making uh, that connection and making what is the intention. This this is all Krishna consciousness is what is your intention. Prabhupada never said to change your service. Prabhupada says to change the intention of your service. Right. What is the intention? If I may, I'd like to bring up one point respectfully because yeah. you had a, a person on uh, a month back or so. He was talking about the um, vaccination. <clears throat> Sita Pati, I think. Was Sita Pati, yes, yes. Right. And I, I honor him. I respect him, but I don't agree with him. <laughs> right. That's so, fine, yeah. The thing is that I immediately saw that he is a Chetriya. His whole demeanor and the way he spoke, his, that, was, that vibration, that Chetriya vibration was pouring off of him. Right. And so he's saying that um, I don't want my guru telling me that I should wear a seat belt. Right, it, that was one. Yeah, that was, <clears throat> you know, but that may be the mood of a chetria, because in our culture, the different um, orders, there are different moods. Right. An example of this in uh, Mahabharat, you know, the Mahabharat, Yudhisthira loses the uh, dice match, the Pandavas and Draupadi. They are thrown out of the kingdom and they're residing in the forest. And so, you know, the Pandavas, they don't agree on everything all the time. When they're in the forest, you know, their first uh, experience, they don't want to be like, especially Draupadi and uh, Bhima. They're totally getting down on Yudhisthira for getting them into this mess. Right. And you, uh, Draupadi wants the, her husbands to go back and behave like Kshatriyas and reclaim the kingdom. Yes. Bhima is the same way. <laughs> but Yudhisthira is saying, well, Shanti, peace. We let, we've made a mistake, but let's be patient. Let's, let, let's not respond uh, so radically. And so Bhima is telling him, you're talking like a Brahmin. We're not Brahmins, we're Chetriyas. Right. So there are these different moods in society. No, mm. Pati, that's the mood of a Chetriya. You know, I'm not coming from that mood. Mm. So my mood is a little different. If my spiritual master <clears throat> tells me to drive safely and to wear a seatbelt, I think. Wow, that's that's very endearing. My spiritual master is not only concerned about my spiritual well-being, but he's concerned about my material health and well-being at the same time. I see what that you're saying. A, for right. me, that's very endearing. Mm. For somebody, for somebody who's a Chetria mindset, they they dismiss that. They don't want to hear the spiritual master giving them instructions about. You know, so seemingly mundane activities. Right, right, right. So we have to, you know, there has to be that nuanced understanding of Krishna consciousness. Mm. We're in society, there has to be a nuanced understanding. People come along and they make these blanket statements and judgments. That's okay, but you know, the 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 whole idea 
is to be a, a nuance. Prabhupada established a Brahminical culture first. You see? He didn't. And at the end, in the last few months, he said, now you establish the Vanashram system. He mm -hmm. told the, the leading devotees, the Brahmins, that he had created, he had created a head. Now we have to establish the rest of the Vanashram system. And one of those things, you know, is influencing the leaders. People don't know what leaders are. People don't know how to, what, what, you know, they have no conception of what a leader is supposed to do or how a leader is supposed to act. Yeah. Uh, and therefore, all of these strange people, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, are showing up on the scene. <laughs> but, you know, a real leader, this Arjuna in the Mahabharat, and I, I try to make in my preaching, I try to make Krishna consciousness relevant through the Mahabharat because the Mahabharat yeah. is presenting the Dharma in a way, in a historic way, through the stories of the Pandavas and uh, through the history of the, uh, the, the dynasty, the, the Kuru dynasty. <clears throat> so, hang on for a second. It's <clears throat> okay. Uh, My wife has it, but this is the point. Sure. So, <clears throat> the idea is <clears throat> that you have to make, or we as a, as a society, have to make Krishna consciousness relevant. And one of the relevant is, you know, learning from history and also learning from the history of Mahabharata and the Ramayana. That's history. And so people always say we have to learn from history or we're condemned to repeat those same mistakes. So yeah. one of the things is that the Pandavas, they didn't agree upon everything. They had their own little spats but they never uh, broke the bond between them. So as Vaishnavas, we may have our little spats, but that ha is insignificant uh, in the greater picture of how to fulfill Prabhupada's mission, how to establish the Vanasham system. I really appreciate that point, and I personally do feel like that as well. But there's also the point, Prabhu, I want you to comment on that, okay, we can disagree on things, but what happens when we feel like uh, the movement has, has, has really kind of went off course from what Prabhupada had originally intended to? And you can speak on this the best because you were there in the beginning of the movement and now you're here in 2021 with us all like still here, you know. Well, I, I experienced it personally in the, the Kirtananda uh, yeah. uh, administration. Yeah, like in a, that's in a microcosmic way, but yeah. now in like a more macrocosmic way, as far as ISKCON as a movement, would you feel like how you do you feel that somehow that Prabhupada's movement has moved away from what his original goals or, or original example was? You know what the movement um, it's. It's definitely ch uh, changing, yeah. but is it changing for the better or for the worse? You know, right. the, the, the thing is this, uh, in the 60s and 70s, people didn't have the uh, 
freedom to make different uh, choices like they do today. Yes, too many choices now. Yeah, you couldn't, you know, the paradigm was such that you couldn't be a devotee or you couldn't get initiated unless you joined the temple. You had to live in the temple. You had to serve full-time at the temple to be considered for initiation. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the paradigm today. And I, I think we've grown as a society and a culture because now people are taking the initiative. And one other great um, step in moving forward in, in visiting, before, shortly before we joined, we visited uh, one temple. Uh, it was a little um, center, and nobody was there. The doors were open. I came in, and I I saw I was reading something on the bill uh, the the um, what is it the bulletin board. There was a letter by Prabhupada, and I was uh, I was amazed at this letter. It was really remarkable. This is in like nineteen seventy two, probably. Uh, Prabhupada, somebody had written to Prabhupada and asking about, well, I'm in, in, in this one temple, but I'd really like to go to another temple. You know, I, I don't feel right here. I, I, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable in this temple. So Prabhupada wrote back saying, you have to decide if, if you want to go to another temple, will that be in the best interest of your Krishna consciousness? If you decide it is, then by all means, go to the other temple. And so I was struck <laughs> that here, you know, the devotees, they've only been in the movement for two or three years at the most. Yeah. And Prabhupada, the way the movement grew so quickly is that Prabhupada empowered people. He, em- he empowered people to go out and start centers or make these decisions, like he's ex- in the letter he's explaining, you have to decide what is in the best interest of your Krishna consciousness. And I was like blown away by this letter uh, and Prabhupada giving somebody that choice rather than dictating. Mm. Oh, stay here, you go here, you go there. And so Prabhupada did that constantly with people. Prabhupada, he constantly, there were contradictions in Prabhupada's instructions. He would tell one person that he should go to college, and he would tell another person, no, don't go to college. It's a waste of time. (laughs) You know, so Prabhupada was full of contradictions. And so now we're also, uh, you know, in one sense, devotees are uh, still coming, they're still being inspired. Yeah. You know, there may be problems, but the thing is to be patient. If there are problems, we can't demand that Krishna resolve these problems right away. They require our patience. So to be patient, to see Krishna's hand in things, and how things are moving along and and also not to uh, you know for the most part uh 
here in Nuvendavan, I was silent at the, at the different changes. Actually, uh, when these changes started happening, I, I wrote Kirtananda several letters, uh, mildly suggesting what's what's going on, what's you know what's happening. He never responded to my letters. And if devotees came up and challenged me, then I would tell them, listen, I'm, I'm here. This is my community. Uh, you know, I live here. <clears throat> it's my community. It's Prabhupada's community. So in one sense, you need to speak up. But like the Bhagavad Gita teaches us, you have to act. You have to speak. But first of all, do it in a respectful way. Mm. And second of all, you can't be detached to the results, right? Isn't that what the Bhagavad Gita tells us? Yes, yes. So that's it. <clears throat> I like it's very yeah. simple, I think. Yeah, I like what you said about um seeing Krishna's hand. I think that's something that we definitely overlook. And also seeing is thing have things improved? Yeah, I think things have improved for sure. Glad you know, seeing seeing the silver lining and things is is important. Uh, when when we're looking at something like so huge as like a worldwide society and and how far we've come in the past fifty year fifty two years now or something like that fifty three, uh, you know it's it doesn't you know it wasn't built overnight. I mean it took time and to get to where we wanted to get to, but yeah, I mean there's definitely issues for sure. But it's the way you look at them, right? In fifty years, Iskan has resolved what's taken the catholic church thousands of years to a thousand years to resolve mm. you know and as far as various some of the issues uh but one thing that catholic church that was interesting they established these different orders so you know people have have to find their like i said their own needle yeah you know so i'm at liberty to to do that with my work, I've uh, over the years I've tr uh, transitioned from theater to storytelling, and from storytelling to writing books. I have three books out. That's and a great segue. I wanted to talk about that. I'm working on a couple of other books right now. <clears throat> can you can you kind of show? Do you have the mat on hand? I'd just like to see. We'd like to show them to our listeners. If you'd like to, uh, we can also tell our listeners how to get and get those books as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a what, the book. I'm. Uh, this is my newest book, Hanuman's Quest, all about oh, no. the, the Hanuman okay. from Valmiki's Ramayan. Uh, this is uh, <clears throat> my Mahabharat, the Eternal Quest, and I, I basically I wrote these for myself, for my own upliftment. Most of my writing, I'm uh, you know I'm challenging myself, doing the research figuring out how to uh, present this material in 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 two in two ways uh -huh. one to present it to an audience that is familiar with the books like a devotee audience or a hindu audience they may they're, they're familiar with the stories but how to present it in such a way that it's unique enough and interesting enough where they'll take a look at it again and the second uh, is to present it to an audience that has no experience of uh, these stories. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? It took me, like the Mahabharata, it, it took me eight years to write this book. Wow. Because, 
And in the, and at, at points, I was in such a conundrum. I was thinking, how am I ever going to explain this to people that don't know, that don't, you know, I'm not familiar with this material. Yeah. So I became, a couple of times I became discouraged and stopped working on it. At one point I stopped working on it for over a year. I couldn't go on. But like I said, I'm pretty stubborn. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, 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 although I stopped, my I, I still had my eye on the goal <laughs> to Wonderful. produce a book that a, a general audience. You know, there's one book, uh, Mahabharat, that is uh, used in many colleges. Uh, the go-to book for scholars is William Buck's book that he wrote back in the 1970s on the Ramayan and also on the... Uh, um, uh, Mahabharat. Mm -hmm. So I, my, the intention of my book is to write a book that is, uh, that can be used in academia, uh, that can be studied easily. And, uh, that what, what I don't do as the author, I never mention once that Krishna is the Supreme personality of Godhead. Mm. <laughs> Although I do mention that in the glossary, right? But not in the story. But as the so, how I'm doing that is letting the how Krishna behaves with the other personalities and what the other personalities think and say. What conclusions are they coming to? And uh, as as to who Krishna is. And so this this is all historic. What uh, can, blind Dhritarashtra, he came to the conclusion that Krishna was the supreme lord, and he was fearful for his own son. That his own son uh, was uh, Duryodhan was uh, totally offensive to Krishna and uh, rejected Krishna's supreme authority when he came to try to plead on behalf of the Pandavas. And so there are many different examples. There are many different personalities in the Mahabharata that state who Krishna is. I don't have to do it. It's right. all there, right? <laughs> so, if someone, want, if, yeah, if but, someone wants to kind of buy your books, where, where can they find them? <clears throat> this is my website for the books, mahabharata-project.com. And then my legal name, that's, um, I use it on my books and it's also on my uh, Facebook page. Uh, so if you want to contact me, if you want to go and check out my books, <coughs> go to mahabartproject.com, mahabartslashproject.com. So <clears throat> basically, my, I want to present Krishna consciousness according to the um, history of Mahabharata, because the Dharma is presented in the Mahabharata. So not only there's the mundane Dharma that is applied to, to society and in the Bhagavad Gita, then there's Krishna's transcendental Dharma, where he says, give up all varieties of religion, surrender to, to me. So yeah. first you have to come to that realization how is the dharma how is the teaching teachings working in society and that's exactly uh what the mahabharata 
does for us. Just like to give you one example. Sure. After the after Yudhisthira uh, builds his own kingdom, Indraprastha, then Narada Muni shows up. And Narada Muni, of course, he's a brilliant personality, a, a transcendentalist. But Narada Muni doesn't give uh, Yudhisthira spiritual advice. I, I don't know if you know this section. Narada Muni goes into what advice, very practical advice on how to rule the kingdom. He, I did not know this. Yeah, so th 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 this is all there in the Mahabharata. <laughs> okay. He's not giving spiritual advice. No, uh -huh. he's telling you to steal. He, and one of the things that's kind of reflective of the Declaration of Independence, because you just, uh, um, you just, uh, <coughs> Narada Muni tells you to steal that uh, there's two things, no, three things um, a king needs to do, a leader, not only a king, but a leader. One of the things is to ensure the happiness of the people, of the people in his company, of the people in his kingdom, whatever, whatever, whatever type of leader you are, this, it's so important to get out the message of what a leader means. So anyways, he tells, make sure the people under your care are happy. But how does this happiness manifest? He says there's two things. Two things here. It manifests through justice, and it manifests through <clears throat> economic prosperity. That's how happiness manifests itself in the world. Wow. <clears throat> so he says you need to make sure that there's justice, and that's the... You know, that's the problem we're having in the United States. Is the justice being evenly dispersed for everyone and anyone, right? That's right. Uh, going on at this very moment. Look how relevant the Mahabharata is. Yeah, it's true. And, and economic prosperity. The, the leaders have to make sure that everybody's engaged in their own svadharma. What is our propensity? What are our own propensities? You, you need to be engaged and make a livelihood according to your own propensity. Wow. So it's, you know, this is uh, very well delineated on the pages of Mahabharata. He even goes into making sure that you have a system of spies, that you have uh, forts, uh, outlying forts that are huh. protecting the kingdom. He goes into some nitty gritty detail. He tell he even tells uh, Yudhisthira that Narda says that to make sure that all of your craftsmen have their pay in advance, that they have several months in advance pay, not that people it's are so detailed, not that people are living week to week. Yeah, paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> wow, well, that's all there. And one other thing about a leadership that's a really remarkable is uh, one day uh, Arjuna is walking in the marketplaces of Indraprastha and somebody comes running to him and saying, my cows have been stolen in the dead of night. And Arjuna immediately jumps into action. He doesn't wait a moment. He immediately gets a bow and arrows and he jumps into action. And it's explained at that section that the leader... Uh, he's responsible 
to retrieve the stolen goods. That's, and you know what? If he doesn't retrieve the stolen goods, he has to replace the stolen goods. So what leader in Washington, D.C., when, some, when the companies steal your, you know, your uh, kind of like your retirement money, that's happened yeah. or Bernie Madoff goes, uh, you know, he steals or the companies are stealing. This stealing going on across the board. Yeah, of course. Anyways, this is the uh, supremacy, the supreme responsibility of the leadership. You either retrieve the stolen goods or you have to replace the stolen goods. This is the potency of the Mahabharata to explain to put the leaders, you know, th they have to see what they're responsible for. Wow. I did not know that the Marbart had this kind of really detailed, uh, you know, instructions on leadership and all kinds of things. <clears throat> wow. Prabhupada, well, in, the, in the first canto, Prabhupada says that the Mahabharata is more important than the original Vedas. For the Kali Yuga, the Mahabharata is much more important than the original Vedas. <clears throat> wow. Well, uh, Sankarjan Prabhu, it was really fascinating. We're kind of at our end here, uh, the end of the time, but thank you so much for, for, for joining me here. It was really, really fascinating to hear your story and you have so much wisdom to share with, with all of us. And I really urge our listeners to go ahead, uh, Google his name. You can find him on Facebook too, at this name on the screen. Uh, you can get in touch with him about his books. You can find his, uh, you know, where his books can be bought. Um, if you Google that name, also you get in contact with him and uh you know buy these books buy them me. <clears throat> yeah you can buy them through through my website Mahabharata is also on uh, on amazon as well okay mm -hmm. wonderful wonderful well well prabhu thank you again for for joining me for, you know, for it's, this. it's my great pleasure and i must say that i really love your show oh, thank you. one of the things about it is it doesn't avoid controversy Thank and you so much. We have to look at the controversy and we have to, at the same time, be respectful and honor the Vaishnavas. Sure. So, you know, that's part of our makeup, who yes. we are. And when, when we act properly as Vaishnavas, that's going to be preaching for us. You know, people are looking, you know, we, in one sense, we want everybody to look at us, yes. right? The world, in one sense, that's what Nuvindavan was built for. Uh, and, and the devotees were saying, were wondering, and Kirtananda himself, well, you know, we want, the, we want to be a beacon for the world. Yeah. But, you know, when the world was actually looking, what did they see? <laughs> Some not very pleasant things going on here in Nuvindavan. Right. So... We have to be responsible to each other, to Srila Prabhupada, to the Vaishnava mission. Vaishnava is not a mundane religious tradition. Vaishnavas, Prabhupada explains that anybody could be a Vaishnava. In any walk of life, in any different religion, Vaishnava is a principle that means that one who is compassionate we want to show uh, the world 
what uh, real knowledge is and what real relationships, real loving relationships, and especially in establishing a loving relationship with the Supreme Lord who is within our hearts, Sri Krishna. So yeah. that's the important thing for us to think about whenever we open our mouths, whenever we do something. I feel that you you're, you've gained you know so much of your wisdom from studying the Mahabharat really deeply, and and then that kind of wisdom is coming out in when you see what's going on in our world and in our society, and you can so so much to offer, Prabhu. Thank you so much for and again, thank you for for sharing so much about your life uh, with all of our listeners. This is the late morning program. You can find me on Facebook and YouTube. Please, please subscribe and please share this podcast. Sankar Prabhu, please stay on. I'm going to just turn off the recording. Okay. Hare Krishna, everyone, and have a great uh, rest of your day. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna.